0: Hello and welcome to the Man City podcast with me Rob Pollard and on this episode I'm speaking to Brian Marwood, a man who's played a hugely influential role at this football club since his arrival here in 2009. He's operated in a number of different high-profile roles and I wanted to talk to him about his time here and the rapid change he's seen. I also wanted to talk to him about his playing days and in particular his role in Arsenal's 1989 title win that was one of the most dramatic in the history of the game. So here it is, me talking to Brian, here at the City Football Academy. You signed for George Graham um, in 1988 and he turned out to be you know, one of Arsenal's most uh, important figures, changed the club completely. Mm. What, what were your memories of, of working with George Graham and what was he like?
1: Um, he was very strict. He was very tough. Um, I think he'd gone into the club at a time where uh, huge transformation was was required. It was. I was 28 when I went to Arsenal, and it was a it was a great opportunity for me. You know, no disrespect to Sheffield Wednesday, but uh, I was already playing in the top league at the time. But to go and play for a, an iconic club that was regarded not just um, as one of the top clubs in, in England, but also across Europe. So. Um, it was probably um, a time that I really didn't want to let it pass my, myself by without really giving a great account of myself, and so it was a it was an opportunity late in my career, but it was one that I, I was determined to take with both hands.
0: The, the film '89, for those who haven't seen it, focuses on the 1988-89 season, which ended with Arsenal. Um, winning the title uh, having to go to Anfield to beat Liverpool at the time of the best team in Europe and they had to win by two goals and of course they did Mm. uh, with one very late one what really struck me was um, the the team talk before the game now of course you were injured for the final few games having played the vast majority of the rest of the season but before the game he told the players we are going to win this game 2-0 and he was also very comfortable with the fact of getting to half time at Mm. Um, 0-0 how did he do that how did he know and how did he map out a game so clearly before a game had happened? Because that just seems, yeah. just seems mad to me.
1: I remember it was it was kind of I'm saying it was relatively relaxed the group that that over that period of the build up to the game because we we'd had a period where we'd able to recharge our batteries because uh, we we weren't caught up in the fixture backlog that Liverpool were, but. Um, as you said, he's you know the words were, "Hey, let's get let's get to half time. If we keep it nil nil, then you know we 45 minutes to change the course of history, and maybe change the course of how everybody probably felt that that evening would end." And um, you know we, we we got the goal, um, uh, which you know free kick, Nigel Winterburn. Manon Smith kind of headed it in, made it one nil. All of a sudden, you can kind of sense a bit of nervousness, and we were kind of, we were in the ascendancy. We were playing well. We were fresher than them because I think physically, and don't forget that at that time, you know, I think that year we might have only used maybe 17 18 players at most. Yeah. Whereas it's a different world now. Of course, you know, we're using thirty to forty players in a season, and then of course. You know, John Barnes. That's literally, you know, it's kind of, you know, minute or so to go. John Barnes gets the ball in the in the corner flag area, and I guess, you know, if he probably looked at that nine times out of ten, he probably would have just put his foot on the ball and tried to keep it in the in that corner flag and just try and eat up some time. And and he decided to dribble along the byline and kind of managed to get a nick to, to John Lukic. He picks a ball up, throws it to Lee Dixon. Lee Dixon hits a big diagonal to Alan Smith, who knocks it down, and Mickey Thomas in an identical situation to one he'd he he'd kind of grubbled saved earlier. One v one, last minute, everything's riding on this moment, and uh, and scores, and it it was um, it was just surreal. It, it, it was it was almost like time stood still. Uh, no but one he could.
0: He took p- his time with the finish, didn't he?
1: He did. It seemed to go. All, it seemed to be there forever, you know. In in terms of you know, go and hit it, hit it, hit it, go and hit it. And, you know, eventually he did, and 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 then there was. I, I mean, it was kind of you know the scenes of joy for the Arsenal fans, the the scenes of obviously disappointment for for Liverpool and you know people still talk about it now and it was a lot of years ago so it probably shows the significance of, of that moment and 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 you know so many people still remember where they were that night and 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 kind of how they watched it and uh, whether in the stadium or watching it on TV but it was uh, it was a, it was a very special moment
0: it was significant as well because the context of course was english football was at a low ebb obviously mm. hillsborough was one element um, there was sort of a hooliganism issue. Yeah. We'd had Heisel we'd,
1: we'd, Heisel, we'd had obviously the Bradford disaster as well. Yeah. So
0: Th- Thatcher was dead against uh, yeah. the England fans going to Italy the following year. Mm. Do you think that that night, and then it, uh, England's performance in Italy the summer after, mm. they were two key junctures really, weren't they, in kind of restoring uh, English football and, and giving yeah. it a bit of pride back in a way, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're right, you know, we... <sighs> It, it it really was a difficult time and and I think you know it was a time when you know the, the the kind of the fences were put around the around the stadiums and and it was you know both you know there was issues both inside and outside stadia um and um you know out of that a lot of those things that happened at that time um you know i think that i guess football and and maybe maybe the country in general. Took, took kind of stock of what was happening, you know. I mean I think you had other political things going on like the, the miner strike, uh, which, you know, I was I was in Sheffield, I was playing in Sheffield, living in Sheffield at that period, and Sheffield was at the heart of, you know, obviously Scargill and and this battle against Thatcher and, and you know, and there was there was many you know, it affected, you know, generations of people and and, you know, I came from a mining community in the northeast and you know, my father-in-law uh, was a, was an official and they actually went to work and, you know, obviously they were, they were then singled out and, you know, had their windows put out and so, so you had all of these things going on. There was this real anarchy about about England at that time, you know, probably through the 80s. Um, and football was a little bit of a, a big release, for I think, for a lot of people and um, so that night, felt like it it restored some sort of not just about us winning against the odds, but but actually the 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 fair play, the 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 the, the kind of the professionalism, the 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 kind of humility that Liverpool Football Club showed that night was a, was a remarkable achievement in terms of and it. it you know, it, it, it told you everything you needed to know about Liverpool Football Club. Um, and and even though we were a great side, they still had that side to them that, you know, they they knew that they'd been through such a difficult time of losing, you know, a great number of their fans and and, and the impact that had. And you know, if you read you know leash's book and you talk about all the funerals that he attended, and you can imagine the. Um, the 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 emotional drain that has on not just him but everybody connected with the club it you can't begin to imagine what what everybody was going through on on merseyside at that particular period so for them then to accept that we'd won and to um stay and respect what we did uh, I, I think you know something i'll never forget
0: and after your uh, playing days are over, you've had a, a very, very interesting journey. You've been involved well, chairman of the PFA, uh, commentator for Sky, worked at Nike, head of their UK operations. Is that is something you planned for? And, it, and was that you trying to get experience in different areas or did these things just just happen?
1: Probably, I think, apart from the plan bit, I think I think there's a bit of everything in there. You know, I hadn't planned it. I, I kind of had an interest... As a player, because the the chairmanship of the PFA is a, is a kind of honorary position, so you kind of do that. You know, you, you can't do it unless you're still playing. So, and I I'd, I'd kind of been interested, I guess, coming from the kind of Munich, the mining community as I did, um, and understanding the you know a, a lot of the politics, um, and I just kind of it was important that whole union thing. You kind of you brought up in in traditional areas about how important it is. And um, I was really interested in the um, in, in improving the lives of, of of players in this in this country, and it, it wasn't necessarily the lives of the top players because they were, you know, they weren't paid as handsomely as they are now. But um, it was actually for a big proportion of the membership that they really were struggling, and and then of course. Um, you know, if you're fortunate you play till you're 33 34 35 but so many players are finishing earlier and um, and they, they needed help they needed assistance they needed to train into a, a new career and, and I was quite passionate about those things um, so I really enjoyed that and I, I learned and actually probably in hindsight now it, it it cost me something at Arsenal because I think George didn't really like me getting involved in those things and and um, we then, our relationship kind of suffered a little bit.
0: Did he feel it was a distraction to your, to your playing?
1: No, I, I think, you know, we've, it's funny, we never really had I mean, we get on fine now, but we never really had this conversation. But um, at that time, I went to... I think the bonuses at Arsenal hadn't been changed for, I don't know, five to ten years. So um, as the players' representative of Arsenal, and my, my role as a chairman, but as a players' representative, it, it was kind of... I was tasked to go and speak to George about the bonuses, and George at that time really wanted to to, to kind of have a strong grip on on the, on the group, and, and he felt I think he felt that that was a challenge to his his authority. Mm. So our relationship suffered after that, and um, and then I, I kind of picked up some injuries, which again didn't help the situation. Um, but I felt that relationship between me and him was never quite the same um, but I, I it didn't stop me from still being passionate about the association and what was happening and, and I had kind of four years as chairman I really enjoyed it and it, I mean right at the heart of that of course was the onset of the the premier League um, and we I was chairman where we actually went to ballot our members to take industrial action if um, we didn't get a, a share of the, the TV revenues, which was you know, was, was part of the constitution. So um, that was quite nervous because, you know, we got an amazing um, support from the membership. Um, and it was a really potentially difficult time. Fortunately, you know, it kind of worked out. And you know, I don't think anybody really th- thought that the Premier League would be the success, the financial success that it has been, but, um, I remember that in the early 90s being again a a significant part of me of my personal development. Going through those situations, being in meetings with chairmen of associations and chairmen of football clubs, and working alongside Gordon Taylor, which I believe is is one of the best administrators in 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 world football. Um, So it's difficult not to learn a lot from those those moments in time, and then they started a, a kind of a commercial operation that uh, they'd asked me to to kind of come and work full-time after i finished playing and that was really to predominantly look at players commercial opportunities because we would had so many issues with um uh with agents and, and bad advice and and, and players really it's, it's costing them a lot of money and uh so we decided that we would probably try and set up that arm of the PFA and, and try and help and protect players. So again, that was a that was another part of my, my kind of learning curve. And then <clears throat> and I was fortunate to to get the opportunity at Nike. And so all of these things just seemed to come. I, it wasn't it wasn't planned. Um, it, it just seemed to happen. Um, but I, you know, people say, "Oh, you must have," you know have got this degree or college or you must have gone to university Yeah, you know, I just went to the university of life I didn't I didn't go to any any kind of uh any any other learning and, and education uh form than that so um and just really being involved in these experiences getting that knowledge working through a little bit of intuition working with good people and um and just really a lot of hard work and a lot of application and uh, unfortunately that, that, that kind of took me on this journey that uh, has allowed me to stay in football um, and uh, and you know been part of this amazing project since uh, since 2009.
0: So you met Gary Cook while you were while you were at Nike, and yeah. uh, obviously forged a good relationship with him. And he was, I presume, key to bringing you here in 2009. Mm. Well, what 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 was the club like that you found in 2009? Because it was going through a and it still is going through a period of rapid growth and development. Yeah. What 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 was it like when you came here?
1: Um, I think it was a it it was a football club that um, needed change. Gary had asked me to come before then. Um, when the previous owners were here, um, Taksin and Shunawatra. And I kind of, I, um, I decided not to. It just didn't feel right. Um, so I kind of, Gary and I had kept in touch. And, uh, and obviously when the new ownership came in, he, he kind of asked me again. And uh, I remember going down to London to meet Haldun and uh, Annie, you know, just, we had probably four hours just talking football. And I was so impressed with 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 Hal Doon, what he had to say, his vision for for the for the club, um, and just how genuine he was and that for me was the biggest selling point because I was giving up a a career with Nike that had been there for eleven years. Um, I had a successful career as a co commentator with Sky um, so i wasn 't really in a in a hurry to leave all of that and and, and everybody's aware of 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 the um, of the lack of stability in, in a lot of football clubs and Manchester City was no different at that time because so it was a
0: big risk for you wasn't it It was a
1: huge risk yeah it was a huge risk but having met obviously I knew Gary and then having met Haldun I just had a sense and a feeling that this was these people were serious these people really wanted to change the face of of a once once proud and famous football club. And my only real connection with Manchester City was was playing against them. Um so I played at Main Road and obviously played against some Highbury and I don't think I played against them at Sheffield Wednesday, I think we we're in different divisions then but um so it was um it was you know, I was aware of the history of the club but I, I didn't I didn't quite sense the the feeling around this area at that time, and and kind of how the feeling was between us and United, and and kind of how things were here at the club. Um, but it it just felt there was a lot of things that had to change, and the owners were the were the catalyst of that change. But then they needed people to be able to to carry out that change, and change is not always easy. Uh, you know we certainly in the football operations which I, I came into um, it was um, it, it was difficult because uh, you know there was there was a lot of things obviously the the team had to change the owners wanted a, a team that was going to compete to win the league and, and, and compete in Europe and at that time I came in the May I think uh, prior to Christmas that season the club had got caught up in a potential relegation um, battle and they'd made three very key signings for me in that January Shea Given, uh, Waynebridge and, and Craig Bellamy and that then helped the team to propel I think it finished maybe ninth or tenth that year so it was kind of how could we take that on and, and that there was a number of things that had to change not just with the team but the supporting network around the team and we needed to set up a you know areas of, of kind of functional areas that we wanted to become best in class, so that was um that 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 took a lot of thinking through and obviously I wanted to give myself a bit of time to really assess the club and 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 understand more about what was happening at that period. We were on three sites we had the you know, the academy down at Platte Lane we had the first team at carrington and And the business was here at the stadium. So that wasn't easy um, because, you know, you really wanted to try and create a football club that was all together. that felt all together that both business and football could come together, which is, of course, what we have now. Um, So it was, um, there was was just a lot of hard work, a lot of change. um, But we had a vision. We had a sense of what we wanted to be we had a strategy in which we we kind of laid out that the owners were really bought into and then it's it's a lot of hard work and and it's and it's also a lot of belief in what you're doing and and at times a lot of people didn't feel we were doing the right thing and, and you're making a lot of unpopular decisions and but it isn't it isn't a popularity contest it's a it's about Looking at the long term future of a of a football club and and I always felt that while those some of the things that we did may have felt difficult for a lot of people to accept it 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 felt the right thing to do and and i I look around now and I see what we have in in all areas of our football club and i I really do and I don't want this to sound arrogant, but I really do believe that this is a football club that's in that's in great shape.
0: your initial remit was pretty much overseeing the recruitment of, of players for the mm. first team there was kind of um a criticism early particularly the mark Hughes period signings that City were overpaying and, and yep. maybe not getting the type of characters that that we you know we, we needed uh, for long-term success did, did that ever actually have any truth in it from where you were you were stuck did you ever fear that perhaps you were engaging in that kind of uh, transfer activity
1: no I, I well one thing we need we needed a we needed a better quality in the club so how were we going to get better quality in the club well we, we had to overpay it was a club that hadn't succeeded so we were if we weren't top players you know we needed to show them and we needed to get them to buy into what our vision was for the, for the club and they were they were taking a big risk right because they were having to believe in the things that we were we were telling them you know I remember Gareth Barry was one of the first signings that we made and you know Gareth had the previous summer had um, been courted by Liverpool. Very nearly went to Liverpool, and then they wanted him again that summer. And, and I remember taking him for when we signed him. We took him for his medical. He was with the England squad at the time at, at, at Bushy. Uh, took the medical Bushy. They were staying. Um, uh, they were staying in, in around that area, uh, preparing for an England game, and. Uh, we were in a car going to the medical and we had talk sport on and they were absolutely slaughtering Gareth for choosing Manchester City ahead of Liverpool and it was, oh, he's only going for the money and, uh, you know, there's no ambition and, you know, who are Man City compared to Liverpool and I remember saying to him, I said you turn this off, and he went, no, no, I want to listen to this and I said, why do you want to listen to this? because I'm, sh- I'm going to prove these people wrong um, And he said, actually, he said, Liverpool are offering me more money, but I want to come here because you've sold me about a vision. You've sold me about trying to create history. He said, so I'm really determined to make this work. And it was that type of characters that we wanted in the football club. Don't always get them. Don't always get them. Um, He was one of the best, wasn't he? He was terrific. You know, it was people like Gareth that was an unsung hero that uh, you only realize how important they are I think at times when they're not there. Yeah. And uh he was a big big player for us and um but he was um this was the this was the type of person that we needed in the dressing room. Um the strength of character, the determination, the when things are not going well, who are the players that are going to get you out of that of those difficult moments. So Um, so signing players like that began to transform who we were Carlos was a a huge signing for many different reasons at that time because it was Man United player um, it was uh, you know we we took a lot of criticism for that but
0: he was just a born winner wasn't he and that's what he needed
1: his fight his determination it it was it, his appetite for the game uh was was truly remarkable i've never seen anybody that 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 put as much as him into every match um and of course we had a bit of a blip towards the end of his of his time with us but um overall he was again he was a leader <laughs> and he was so strong mentally and uh so important for the club and then, of course, I remember the criticism that we took on signing David Silva uh, for the money that we paid. And I kind of have a bit of a a kind of a, a wry smile to myself now when I see some of the money that's that's kind of being paid for players. And, and everybody was kind of criticizing us for, the, you know, what we spent on him, what we spent on Yaya. Um, so slowly we were really changing, changing. And we really didn't whatever people said about us they said about us and we had to deal with it and um, but we didn't want that to distract us and this is what I was saying earlier about you need to be strong you need to be mentally tough because it it can be sometimes easy to a lot of what the media are saying a lot of what the fans are saying is that sometimes in some clubs not this one but in some clubs that can that can change the course of people's thinking Um, and sometimes not with the right results. And um, but we were we were strong. We we were we knew what we were doing. Um, there was a big turnover obviously of, of players, who were coming and going and and we very quickly and rapidly built and um, and then obviously Roberto came to the club after Mark and um, and Roberto brought, and I think everybody's aware that you know I had my differences with him, and uh, he certainly had his differences with me. Um, but I, I'll always say uh, this: he he also changed the mentality. Yeah. He he set he set high standards. He set a, a, a benchmark that um, he challenged people, both staff and players. Um, sometimes not always for the right reasons, but he challenged players, and and, and the players went to another level then. And uh, of course, when you know when we when we won the FA Cup, uh, was a big moment because a big moment because we'd won a trophy and it'd been I think thirty five years previously when we won our last trophy, so that, that that was too big a gap for a club like Manchester City. But more importantly, that mentality changed in the club. All of a sudden, we became a we wanted to become a winning club. We wanted to become a successful club, and. Um, and that was really, that That took us to that next level. And then, of course, since since that period, um, you know, we've had a lot of success.
0: When I speak to a lot of fans, they, they refer to the FA Cup semi-final against United as perhaps the moment for them. Mm. When... They did actually start to think. Well, hang on a minute. This investment is going to pay off, and we are going to be a successful side. When when did that happen for you? When, when, what was there a particular moment, a particular game, and a particular appointment where you just thought this is this is going to happen?
1: Um, oh, good question. I remember one game particularly. We played a League Cup semi-final at home against Man United, and um, I mean we lost overall. We didn't got the final, but we won the home game and. I remember that night and it was a it was a night not just for the players and the fans, but actually the staff, the staff behind the scenes. I remember you know lots of TV crews were coming in and, and there was lots of activity building up to the game from probably lunchtime onwards and and everybody seemed to be talking about the game and it, 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 you could see and sense, you know, people were looking out the windows going, Wow, we haven't seen this for a long time. I felt that was a that was a moment in time. Um I think there were you're right, and it was interesting. You know, people say after the, you know winning the semi final against United, which was a special moment for our fans, but then it was, you know, I I was never used or heard this kind of typical city um, kind of phrase. But it was, oh, it'll be typical city. You know, we'll, we'll lose against Stoke in the yeah. final. And it's like, wow, you just beat Manchester United, but you were still you still worried about, about losing. Yeah. There's still that sense of this is all a dream things were beginning to change and 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 I think that people could sense that this actually was for real and this was going to last and it was going to be sustainable and it wasn't just you know it wasn't just a flash in the pan they could see all of the things that were happening around it as well and and the things that we were trying to do
0: looking at your record in the transfer market I think these three names that really stand out to me Um, Who you were involved in bringing to the club, and that's David Silva, Yaya Toure, Sergio Aguero. Of those three players, which do you think has been the most important, (laughs) Uh,
1: Rob? That's such an unfair question. (laughs) And and, you know what? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna duck it because I I think you know all in their own way, I think have been uh, massively crucial. And of course, let's not forget. And I could go on. You know, We, we 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 managed to. Uh, negotiate and recontract the likes of Vincent Pablo Zabaleta who, who was hugely important I've already talked about Gareth Barry already talked about Carlos Tevez James Milner that, that came in and did a did a wonderful job again an unsung hero uh, there's so many there's so many that I think have played a, a such a pivotal role in, in terms of the, the journey that this club has been on over the last nine or ten years and um, but I, I, it's very i think it's i think it's unfair to pick a player because i do think they've made enormous contributions and you know, the beauty of it of all of those for me was that i think a lot of them it was easy of it was easy for them to potentially leave at any time because they're such big players and they've got there, there will always be people in the market that will want these players and there will always be people that will find the money to buy these players even, even that we're Manchester City. Um, but they've all wanted to stay and because they did want to create history and they will go down in history as being the players that started... This particular cycle in the history of Manchester City and the successful cycle of that history, but and then there are other significant people like Patrick Vieira. And Patrick didn't play that much, but you know the impact that he had on that dressing room. Needed a winner in there. Ah, oh, Rob, he, he he managed that dressing room at times. Yeah. You know, you know, there were so many times where you know he'd say to Mancini, would say to Mancini, "You stay out of the dressing room. I'll deal with this." And 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 this is somebody that you know, had his injury issues, and he could have quite easily gone to, you know, kind of just come along and and did his bit every day and go home. But no, he cared about what went on. He cared about the players. And and again, this was part of the strategy. I always remember, you know, when he came January two thousand and ten, and he actually failed his medical. And I remember he was in the Lowry with his with his wife Cherry, and uh, and we got the results back and. It was towards the end of the window and Gary Cook said to me, he said, what are we are going to do? I said, we've got to sign him. He said, yeah, he's just failed his medical. I said, this will be one of the best signings we make. He said, why? I said, because of the influence that he will have in this football club. You know, trust me, you know, he's a leader. He's a winner. He knows what it's like to win. We've still got, we've still got maybe too many in that dressing room that still don't know what winning looks like and how to win. And he can help. And, Gary went, okay, let's go for it, and and he was brilliant. It's those type of characteristics you want you want in your dressing room, and people that that want to fight to win, know how to win, bring a level of consistency, bring a level of quality, um, and we haven't always done that in the market, and and there are many reasons, and you know, I'm sure one day it'll it'll, it'll all come out, but but there there was still a lot of you know players that have come here they had something to prove you know sergio david yaya you know yaya you know he was a champions league winner at barcelona and but he still came here and and he he found that energy he found that commitment he found that that wanting to win you know he, he wanted to be the perennial winner and, and that's what we needed to instil within the club both on and off the pitch So do you
0: think people are often too cynical of footballers and you know this idea that it is all about money I think there's a lot of players at City who have proven that that's not actually the case they did come here because they wanted to be part of that you know that yeah. catalyst um, that's going to change a club and, and, and change a city
1: Rob the, the money is a byproduct of the industry that we're in you know I, I you know I didn't when I was a player, I didn't have... Oh, I didn't have that luxury of playing in that generation where they can earn the money that they're earning now. And I don't begrudge them of any of that. Where I get angry is if those players take... Um, become complacent or they take advantage of that. Now, they would be only the things you would say 20, 30, 50 years ago, right? You'd be saying exactly the same, right? Yeah. So you want people to make the most of their abilities. And... and it's one thing playing; it's another thing wanting to win. You know, you want to finish your career knowing that you've 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 been part of something that that was special, you know, and that invariably is, it's about winning trophies. And um, and you all you want every player to have that ambition. You want every player in our academy to grow up with that ambition. The money is a distraction to a number of people, but to the best players, it's not. It's not because they still have the same attitude to the game. And that's why they are, that's why they're winners. That's why David Silver, I don't think, of course it matters to him about how much he earns, but does it control and rule his life? No. I'll tell you what he loves doing is he loves manipulating that football around a pitch for 90 minutes every weekend or every midweek and showing people the quality that he is. The money thing's not a factor. That, that's about their own personal kind of ambitions and and, and energies and and unfortunately we've now created I think we've created a strong environment where um, you know we have a lot of players that that think that way.
0: We win the league in 2012 first league title in 44 years obviously we've we know what happened that day um, with the Aguero goal and everything else that's all been poured over. I've got to ask you out of the Arsenal 89 and City 2012 Which are widely seen to be the two most dramatic Mm. um, culminations of of, um, English football season. You've been heavily involved in both. Which do you think was a the most exhilarating? B the most significant? That kind of thing. Which one can you can you rank them in any way?
1: Do you know what was interesting? I asked the same question to George Graham, and I said, "How did you feel about winning the title with Arsenal?" 70-71, and the title as a manager in uh, 88-89. And he said 88-89. And the reason he said was, he said, you know what, as a player, I really just had to manage and look after myself. As a manager, in those days of course, the manager, they managed, right? They they had total control. He said, I have to manage a football club. And it's not just about one player, it's about 15 to 20 players, it's about the kit man, it's about my assistants, it's about... And I, and I thought, well yeah, I can see that. And, and I think if I had to rank, it would probably be um, being a sporting director at Manchester City versus being a player because as a player, he's right. You, you have to manage yourself and you know that's still a job in itself. but the winning the title, that year was a it was just a culmination of so many things coming together. It wasn't just about the team. It was about the backroom staff. It was about where we were in, in terms of our scouting and recruitment, sports science, medical, player welfare, academy, um, just uh, philosophy in the club, the ethos that we were working to, all of those things. And I... And I had a typical city moment actually that day because it was a game that we expected to we were expected to win and um, and of course we made hard work of it and I remember kind of thinking wow how have we managed to to lose this you know and obviously United finished early that day at uh, the Stadium of Light and you know they were bringing out the presentation trophies and and because they were st- you know we were still playing and uh, and people say to you oh how did you feel and it was. Do you know, I, I I couldn't enjoy it because of the emotion. It wasn't just the emotion of the day; it was the emotion of the whole season. It was the emotion of, since I've been at the club from May two thousand and nine, all the changes we've made, all of the, all of the the hard work, not just for me, but everybody at the club, for my own family. That you know, all the sacrifices that you do because this is what this is what we love. This is what we enjoy. Um, and I remember the evening, you know, Halduna organized a reception at the Lowry um, for the players and the staff and I remember just sitting in a in a sofa and I, and I I just couldn't talk I was just I was that drained I was so tired but yet so like this warm feeling that you'd you'd been part of something that was kind of unique and then you're thinking wow we got to do this again <laughs> and again and again and again
0: and then that summer transfer window after uh, we'd won the title the the, the sort of quality of the names that came through the door perhaps weren't as as good as previous windows. Um, Was there a reason for that from your perspective and factors out of your control, you know, perhaps players that you wanted?
1: Yeah, clearly having been through a huge cycle of recruitment, we then had to start, and and don't forget, there was a lot of big losses made as a football club. We then had to balance this sustainability both on and off the pitch, so how can we keep a successful team? But equally, how do we negate a number of the losses that, that, we, that we'd made? So we need to start offloading some of the players before we could get them in. And of course, we were in a buying market rather than a selling market. And of course, we put players on big salaries. So of course, you're limiting the market as to where they're gonna go. So we had that side to deal with as well as them wanting to recruit um, some some top players. and We were in this kind of, we were trying to balance between trying to maintain our success, but also at the same time trying to get some sensibility around the numbers.
0: The creation of the CFA, which is the facility we're at now, is kind of world-leading and, and very renowned. Everybody who comes here is blown away. Are you proud every time you come in here? Because you're obviously at the forefront of uh, sort of going around the world and taking inspiration to try and create this place what 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 feelings do you get when you're here
1: massive it never it never fails to inspire me uh, i can't speak for everybody but it never fails to inspire me i think that um one of the important things that we set out to do, again, from day one, you know, I've mean, still got the email from Haldun in 2009 where we talked about this project, and so many people have played a huge part in this, in this project, um, so many people. And um, so so exciting for us all to be involved in this. And, um, you know, of course, there's one thing about the facilities, and, but the buildings and the facilities are not going to make us a successful club. It helps, but it's the people and that's the big thing I'm proud about. I'm proud about the people that we have working here. I'm proud about their energy and the innovation that they show every day and the the kind of how inspirational it is that that you can sense that every time that you're in every building on this this campus, whether you're a player, whether you are backroom staff in football or whether you're working within the business. I think that there's that uh, people feel this energy when they walk in here and you need that you need that legacy you need people to be to be carrying this forward and and showing the same type of energy and commitment that, that I feel that myself and many other people in this business show now and and have shown from day one and um, that 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 for me is is crucial if we're if we to carry on being successful we need to have that energy, that determination to try and do the right thing every day. And uh, I see the, the hours that people work, I see the time that they put in, I see the care they take, I see how important it is, every every small detail. Um, and that for me is, is, is what creates success. For Manchester
0: City fans, what is the big benefit for, for the club here in Manchester of the rest of the group? How how would you summarise the the benefits that can come with having this sort of global operation?
1: Well, I think we have a huge network of people now, and I think if you're again, you're always trying to stay um, as a as a as a leader within the industry. Um, what we've enabled ourselves to do now is to is to create best in class people in sports science, medical, player welfare, scouting, recruitment at our other clubs. Um, and there are opportunities for people from those clubs to come to Manchester and vice versa. So I think you're, you're creating a bigger pool of talent. You're also doing that in terms of players. Um, you know, we have, um, and you, people have seen, you know, the, 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 the kind of, you know, sort of aramoid didn't play for Manchester City, but he's shown that a boy from Australia can come and play in the Premier League and, uh, and be a success. I believe when I look at the Academy in Melbourne, you know, it's producing a lot of interesting players. How proud
0: of you of what you've achieved and, and did you expect I know I know you said you you were blown away having meeting Caldo in early early mm. doors and you knew that they were serious and that this was an exciting project, but did you ever imagine the level and the, the speed and the, the success that we would have? <laughs>
1: No, I, I, Rob, I, I honestly don't believe. I think you always hope and you dream. And uh, did I think that we were going to be a team that's challenging for the title and European honours? You, you can only hope about these things. You can only hope that, you know, the things that we all have done at this club will lead you to that point. Um, and you go through this evolution. So, that, you know, the initial bit was was kind of how do we how do we develop this structure how do we give ourselves this platform Um, and then how do we bring the talent both on and off the pitch to to bring this to life there's lots of examples out there that it it can change very quickly and we just have to all of us have to protect what we have and grow and develop what we have Um, And if we do that, then, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be an amazing, you know, 10 years ahead of us and, and, and beyond that. Um, so as we sit today, are we in a, are we in a good place? Absolutely. But for me, I never become complacent. And I know that what this industry is, I've been in this industry since the age of 16, you know, I've been fortunate to have a lot of good moments, but I've also had a lot of tough moments as well. And I never forget those moments and when we have to make sure that this lives, continues to live and, uh, and we continue to grow and we, when we stay ahead of everybody else. Thank you as always to
0: my guest who on this occasion was Brian Marwood. Really appreciate Brian's time. If you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe wherever it is you do your listening. There's loads more of these for you to be checking out. I've been speaking to Joe Royal and Andy Morrison about our glorious promotion campaigns. Paul Lake about his injury troubles and then his subsequent battle with depression. Francis Lee was one of the best players we've ever had and later returned as chairman during a really turbulent period. And Dennis Stewart, who had three stints at City. Two as a player and one as a director. They're all available now wherever it is you do your podcast listening. And don't forget to visit mancity.com and download the official Man City app for all the latest news and features. Thanks for taking the time to listen. Speak to you soon.